It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Ken Kesley once said, you don't lead by pointing and telling someplace to go, telling people someplace to go. You lead by going to that place and making a case. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host for over two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? Well, Rick, our question is, what does Moses the Deliverer teach us about Jesus? Our theme text is found in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Okay, what does Moses the Deliverer teach us about Jesus? Joining us again is Julie. Julie, welcome back. It's good to have you. Hi, Rick and Jonathan. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. All right. So coming up in today's podcast, we all know Moses was a great man, but how much do we know about the many parts of his character that revealed and reflected what Jesus would be like? We're going to dig into this in about 15 minutes. Everybody knows that Jesus performed miracles, but did you know that Moses did so as well? The fascinating thing is there is a clear pattern of the miracles between the two. We're going to talk about this pattern in about 30 minutes. There are several things that only Moses and Jesus did. No other prophet even came close on these things. You need to find out what they are in about 45 minutes. But first, let's get to the context of our two deliverers to set it straight. Two of the most dramatic lives recorded in the Bible belong to Moses and Jesus. The heroics of Moses' life extended over a lifetime of 120 years, whereas Jesus' heroics were all accomplished within a 33-year lifetime. Despite the dramatic time frame differences, there are startling similarities between these two deliverers. Moses' life was recorded and detailed in four Old Testament books of the Bible, and Jesus' life was recorded and detailed in four New Testament books. Both of them were plainly or prophetically referenced throughout the entire Bible. They each executed the two greatest deliverances in the history of mankind. Moses walked his people out of Egypt, and Jesus ransomed the entire human race from sin. This just scratches the surface. As we look into some specific events of Moses' life as deliverer of a nation, we're going to see inspiring revelations into the life of Jesus as deliverer of the world. And we aren't just randomly choosing two people to compare. The Bible compares them for us. So Hebrews 3, 1 to 6 is an excellent read that tells us that Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant, but that Christ, as God's son, is in charge of the entire house. Moses's work is specifically said to be an illustration of the truths that God would reveal later. So we need to look into this. So we say, therefore, that Moses was a type which is a picture of a fulfilling event that'll be in the future, kind of like foreshadowing. 
So Jesus here is what's called the antitype or the fulfillment of that person or event. And we discussed types and antitypes briefly in episode 1099, Should Christians Care About the Jewish Tabernacle? So listen to that for more. And the purpose of all of these similarities we're about to discuss is to point indisputable arrows to identify Jesus as being the Messiah. All right. Well, in our first segment, we will compare the births and early lives of Moses and Jesus. Okay, births and early lives. Julie, let's get started with you. What about Moses? Well, Moses was born at a time when the nation of Israel were all slaves in Egypt. And we get that from Exodus 1, 8 to 9 and 11. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And Rick and Jonathan, you know, Israel was in slavery in Egypt for 142 years. So generations were born in slavery. Okay. And it wasn't easy slavery, and it got harder and harder as time went on. So that's a little a look at, at, at Moses and his birth and the, the context. G, uh, Jonathan, what about Jesus? Jesus was born at a time when Israel was not a sovereign nation because of Rome's occupation. We read that in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a censor be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Cornelia, Corn, Cornelius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now, Jerusalem was captured by the Romans in 63 BCE. Okay, so Jerusalem, Israel, was under Rome's thumb for a very long time before Jesus came on the scene as well. So we've got the birth situations, and there's a great similarity. So after each of these points, we're going to come to a point of delivering the deliverer. God delivers these deliverers. How? Well, while God seemed to allow sin to run rampant, it was never without providing those who would stand against it, sin, and prove victorious over sin over time. So God's plan is always in action, even during that 142 years of slavery for Egypt. It, for, in, in Egypt, his plan was working, just it was working quietly. What else about the birth of Moses, Julie? Well, it was noted as special before God, and Acts 7.20, we're going to read that. Normally, we read from the New American Standard Version. This is from the New King James. At this time, Moses was born, and all was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. It's interesting. It says he was born, and he was well-pleasing. Now, he's just an infant. Well, how is it he's well-pleasing? God had a mission for him. That's how. Jonathan, what about Jesus? Well, the conception and birth of Jesus was obviously designated as very special before God. We read that in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 33. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Now, it's interesting, Rick and Julie, both Mary and Joseph were of the house of David. Okay, so you've got the conception and birth of Jesus very special before God. 
and you see that it's it's said specifically that Moses was also special before God at his birth. So again, in delivering these deliverers, what's the point? The point is God provided those who would deliver by choosing those who would parent them with godly humility. So God didn't just pick a deliverer, he picked a family to develop the deliverer. Watch how this unfolds. Folks, this is an amazing comparison between Moses and Jesus. Julie, what's next? The birth and infancy of Moses was in danger, but it was protected, here it is, because of his parents' great faith. In Exodus 1.22, it says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast in the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Man, that's cruel stuff. That's amazing. And Moses' father here was Amram, and his mother was Jochebed. And apparently they had great faith because they uh, did the right thing with nurturing him. Okay, and actually go to uh, Hebrews 11, 20, verse 23 as well there. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay, so here what we see is they were strong. They had faith. They knew. You know, it says he, you know, because they saw he was a beautiful child, they weren't afraid. And, you know, you get the wrong sense about that. The idea is because they knew he was favored by God to do something for God, they were strong in his protection. That's what that scripture is really telling us. It's more in the bonus material uh, from the CQ show notes on this. But this is an important aspect of the parenting that is behind Moses. Jonathan, what about Jesus and his parenting? Well, the birth and infancy of Jesus was in danger, but protected because of his parents' great faith. Mm -hmm. Let's read Matthew 2, verse 16. And when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity for two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. And going back two verses, Matthew 2, verse 14, Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while, he was, while it was still night and left Egypt. So here's a quick recap. Pharaoh ordered the mass killing of Hebrew babies under two years old, and Moses ended up being raised in an Egyptian household. King Herod did the same in the time of Jesus, and he was saved by his parents taking him to Egypt in Matthew 2.13. An amazing overruling. You know, and you, you see that already, just by looking at the, the circumstances surrounding the birth of Moses and the birth of Jesus, you see that there are similarities that cannot be coincidental. It just can't be. So you look at this, and, and Julie, you mentioned it earlier, we're looking at Moses as a type, a very specific picture of Jesus, and Jesus is the fulfillment. And this gives us a sense, we're going to come back to this later, that God had his plan in mind, and he's giving us the, 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 the breadcrumbs to follow, to say, here's what my plan looks like. Pay close attention. Even from their birth and the circumstances, we can see that. Delivering the deliverer here. God provided for those who would deliver by choosing parents of faith, courage, and conviction. Well, Joseph and Mary, drop everything and leave at night. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? But, but think about it. God provided through the Magi that just gave them gifts to provide 
for their journey and and to sustain them in Egypt. Because they were not people of great means. Okay? They were simple, humble individuals. They had to flee. And you're right. The Magi just miraculously shows up, right? Gives them these <laughs> expensive gifts which they can live off of. God's providence is unchallengeable when you think about these things. Okay, Julie, we're, we're still working on the, the birth and infancy areas of Moses and Jesus. What about Moses? Moses, the deliverer, renounced his Egyptian upbringing and set out to find God's will for him. Remember, he is now in the Egyptian palace of the Pharaoh's daughter. And Hebrews 11.24 says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Okay, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He took a stand that we would find would be very, very costly for him. He refused all of the glory that he grew up with and literally walked away from it. Okay, so Moses, as a young man growing up, what about Jesus, Jonathan, as a young man growing up? Well, Jesus the Deliverer also came out of Egypt and at an early age set out to find God's will for him, Matthew 2.15. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And that's found in Hosea 11, verse 1. And, you know, I didn't remember the fact that Jesus was called out of Egypt. I yeah. love that connection to Moses. That, that was exciting to me. It's a huge, huge connection. And, folks, we can't minimize these things. And that's why we're taking this podcast and looking at the two, watching God's providence unfold before our very eyes. And moving on to Jesus' 12-year-old focus. Let's look at that in Luke 2, 48 through 49. And this is in the Weymouth translation. When they saw him... They were smitten with amazement, and his mother said to him, My child, why have you behaved thus to us? Your father and I have been searching for you in anguish. Why is it that you have been searching for me? He replied, Did you not know that it is my duty to be engaged upon my father's business? So we saw Moses walk away from everything he knew, and we see Jesus at just 12 years old understanding that his life is about much more than being a carpenter. His life is about his father's business. So delivering the deliverer, again, this is God's delivering these deliverers. God's choices for his deliverers were men who would be driven to rise to the highest level of godliness within their comprehension and reach. When Jesus was 12 years old, he was living an elevated life. When Moses was a young man, he renounced the Egyptian connection. They were both upholding God's sovereignty. It's amazing. It's amazing how similar it is. And the Life Application Study Bible has these notes. Leadership often involves reaction. If we want to react with instincts consistent with God's will, we must develop habits of obedience for God. Consistent obedience to God is best developed in times of less stress. Then when stress comes, our natural reaction will be to obey God. Thus we see why God chose the right kinds of parents to nurture these deliverers as, young, as boys to men so they could have the sense of godliness before faced, facing the trials of godliness. You know, it really is amazing to see the preparation that went into choosing Moses and Jesus. Leaders are developed, not born. 
The beginning of the lives of Moses and Jesus ran parallel. What about their characters as men? You know, when we consider the magnitude of the work that Moses and Jesus were called upon to do, it undoubtedly brings us to the conclusion that their characters had to be as solid as rock and yet easily moldable. This is an unusual combination. It's no wonder that true godly leadership is so hard to find. They have to be solid as rock and still pliable in the hands of God. So now we're going to continue looking into their characters as men. And before we get that started, Jonathan, a quote from Aristotle that I think fits this next segment. He who has never learned to obey cannot be a good commander. And Julie, that absolutely fits the comment that you you just read for, for us. The idea of obedience, pliability has to come first before such powerful responsibility. Julie, what about Moses and his character? Well, his whole being was dedicated to following God's will for him, and he fasted 40 days so that he would know that. And that's found in Exodus 34, 27 to 28. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not drink he did not eat bread or drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. That's amazing. G- uh, Moses is there communing with God these 40 days and 40 nights, doesn't eat, doesn't drink. He's there to understand God's direction, and he comes down from that with the Ten Commandments. You think about the power of that experience and what he comes down with. So that's startling all by itself. Okay, now let's go one further. What about Jesus, Jonathan? Jesus' whole being was dedicated to follow God's will for him. He fasted 40 days to know it, Matthew 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And Rick and Julie, this made me think, Jesus just was baptized and received the Holy Spirit. His mind was enlightened with the relationship he had with his Father in heaven. And being a perfect man, you would think he'd have like a photographic memory and he would be able to remember the law, the Old Testament, so he could find his mission to do God's will. You know, and, and it's interesting that it says that the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Just like God drew Moses into the wilderness, God's Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Incidentally, what a coincidence, both 40 days and 40 nights, huh? What a coincidence to get this incredible ministry started. What a coincidence. Of course it's not a coincidence. It is the power and providence of God's plan unfolding. So let's go to delivering the deliverer here. And this is God's providence, what we're talking about. God's deliverers were called upon to provide their loyalty to God over their human needs and desires. God's will for them and the people was the most important thing. That's what mattered. That's what counted. The most important thing, God's will for the people. And both Moses and Jesus ran to obedience. Yes. Yeah. It, it wasn't a, a casual stroll. It wasn't when I get around to it. It's I'm here. And they were tested right up front, 40 days and 40 nights, to make sure they were doing the right things. Okay, further on their character, Julie, what about Moses? Well, Moses was of a meek character. 
He was beyond reproach, and this gave him a special relationship with God. Okay, so we're going to break this into two small pieces. First, the meekness. What about that? Numbers 12, 1 to 3. Then Miriam, and that was Moses' sister, and Aaron, that was his brother, spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman who he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And Moses, this Cushite woman, this was Zipporah, was her name. Okay, so he marries this woman who's not a Hebrew, and he gets a lot of heat for it. And and the scripture does say, though, he's very meek and he's very humble. He's very willing to follow uh, the, the will of God. Now, Miriam and Aaron are a little bit miffed at, at this, this, this event. So let's go into the relationship with God that Moses had and see how God puts this all in order. So continuing with Numbers 12, 4 through 9. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three, come out to the tent of meeting. Now that sounds so big. Of, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. When I With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, not in dark sayings, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. And then his point here was that God spoke to prophets through dreams and visions, often needing interpretation. But Moses had this rare one-on-one relationship with God, with direct communication. And, you know, and God's words to Aaron and to Miriam are, who do you think you are? He is special in his connection to me. Do not doubt the responsibility that I have given to him. So you have this... Brothers and sisters. (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? But it's interesting, a little bit about Miriam. Miriam was the first woman in all of Scripture given the title prophetess. She was a leader, a musician, and a dancer. But God was displeased with Miriam, questioning Moses' leadership. The penalty from God was that she received leprosy and was sent outside of the camp for seven days because of it. So God was very displeased because he had chosen his deliverer, and he expected others to see his will. And look, when God puts his will out there, we had better be looking, okay? So you can see that Moses' relationship to God was different than all of the other prophets. It was different. Jonathan, what about Jesus? Jesus was of a meek character, beyond reproach, and this gave him a special relationship with God. So again, we're going to break this into two parts. First, the meekness. Go ahead. Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You hear the meekness in that. And he's saying, gently saying, come to me, take my yoke upon you. Let me walk alongside of you. You'll find rest for your souls. I am not going to overburden you. I am Jesus. I am the Lord. I am the Messiah. It's just, it's such a powerful, uh, 
uh, invitation done through this meek, meek heart, just like Moses. What about Jesus' relationship with God? John 14, 8 through 10. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? Who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. And my observation of this, Rick and Julie, Jesus was waiting for God to give him direction. You know, and, and that's just like Moses. It's, it's, it's built in the same way, except the difference is Jesus is begotten by the Spirit of God, and that direction was continually with him. And, you know, God would speak to Moses, and he'd say, go tell the people. With Jesus, God would speak to him as he's going, so it was an even closer relationship because he had the power and influence of God working directly within him. But the two of them had a completely unique relationship with the Heavenly Father. Coincidence? Absolutely not. We were seeing God's plan unfold, and in Moses' life, we're seeing pictures of what Jesus would look like. So we get to delivering the deliverer again, and this is all because of God. God's deliverers were humble to their core. This enabled God himself to communicate his will and his word plainly and freely to them. You know, here's the thing. Without humility, you cannot hear God. Your own ego is too loud. So without humility, when, when humility exists, our hearing is opened, and then we can hear God clearly and we can see the results of that in the lives of Moses and the life of Jesus. Okay, I, folks, we're jumping, we're, we're running through these points. You know, one of, the, one of the things you might want to do if you're listening to this after it's live is pause and consider after each one. Just think, look at, the, look at the comparison. Look at the power of this. Julie, let's go on to the next piece. Uh, Moses forsook his standing in pro- of prosperity in Egypt to do the will of God. And we first started in Hebrews eleven twenty four, where we had read previously by faith Moses when he had grown up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You remember that. Yep. But continuing on with verses twenty five and twenty six, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So that means Moses voluntarily divested himself of these riches of Egypt. Enduring the misery of slavery was, in his mind, a fair price for the reward and privilege of serving God. And this Hebrews 11.27, the next verse, goes on to say that it was done in faith and that he persevered as though seeing him who is unseen. Boy, that's a nice definition of faith there. And Moses continued steadfast. So we know that leaving this household of Pharaoh was not an impulsive decision that he later regretted. Yeah, and and you think of the comparison. You are the son of the most powerful man in the land. When you literally have everything. That's right. You are a prince of Egypt. You have power. You have prestige. You have influence. You have riches. You have choices. You have everything, and 
to him, it was of greater value to be a, a Hebrew slave so he could serve Almighty God. Think about that. That was his reward. I will serve Almighty God if it costs me everything. That's the power of Moses forsaking what he once was and, and just going after the will of God. Jonathan, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus forsook his standing of prosperity in heaven to humbly do the will of God, Isaiah 6, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So Jesus had this willing submission to help his father, whatever it was he was in. You know, and you think about that, we, we look at that and it sounds so simple. Well, who will I send? Oh, I'll go. You know, it, almost, it sounds way too casual. But when you realize the divesting of himself and the cost, there's no, just Julie, you, you talked about Moses leaving the, the, the princely house and it was no casual decision. Same with Jesus. It's no casual decision to divest himself of the spirituality to become just a human being. So it's a powerful comparison between the two. Jonathan, let's continue uh, with Jesus uh, forsaking his standing of pros- uh, prosperity. Matthew thirteen forty four to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So the the parables are just giving us a sense of giving things up to find something greater, and that's what both Moses and Jesus were, were showing us here. So Jesus divested himself of being a spirit being, the Logos, and he became man. Moses divested the riches of Egypt. These deliverers, they had to have this special character to rise above the temptations, the convenience, and the opportunity if it wasn't in line with the will of God. And boy, is that a lesson for us, the temptations, the convenience, and the opportunity. Give all that up, rise above it, and get in line with the will of God. And when you say what a temptation that can be, look at Satan. Satan way high up in the ranks amongst God's, uh, God's uh, spiritual host. And look how far Satan fell because he wanted to be like the Most High. The character is everything. Moses shows us what Jesus looks like. So delivering the deliverer, God's deliverers may have had an appreciation for the things of this world, but they were solely dedicated to things of God, and walked away from anything less than godliness. Understand, there was only one thing in their minds, and that was serving Jehovah God Almighty. That's it. No more, no less. That's all I need in my life. That's what a deliverer looks like. That's what Moses looked like, and that's what Jesus looked like. It is humbling and even startling to see such greatness in God's service compared. What dramatic examples. What about the work and ministry of Moses and Jesus? What comparisons and lessons can we see? While Moses and Jesus both delivered the people, their work was dramatically different. Moses delivered a physical people from slavery and eventually to the promised land. Jesus delivered a called out people to a spiritual reward. His work will ultimately deliver all humanity to a perfect earth. So incredible delivery going on here. 
Can we talk about how the physical deliverance from Egypt that humanity can see and respect, how that teaches us about a spiritual deliverance that's beyond our scope? We can't see that. Can barely imagine it. Well, and you're right. It's hard to imagine heaven. It's hard to imagine being called out from humanity to, you know, in the New Testament, you're called to be a new creature. Well, what does that all that mean? Look at Moses delivering the people. It really does give us a sense of the design of God. You're in slavery, okay? And the picture is sin is, is, is pictured in this slavery. And Moses brings them out of slavery, brings them out of sin. This is what the design of God is. It always has been. It was even hinted at in the Garden of Eden. God, um, the, the Exodus, actually prepares us to understand Jesus, the Messiah, okay? God had a plan in place from the beginning. He did not make it up as he was going. He had it made up, and then he accomplished it. Okay, it, he put it together, and not only does he put it together, but he shows you what it's going to look like long before it happens. That's the confidence that God had in his plan, and that's the providence that we can see and appreciate when we read the scriptures. It is an amazing comparison, the physical deliverance from being a slave to actual freedom and being given God's law. That helps us understand the call of the church, the, the true church, to heaven. You're, you're being freed from sin, and you're elevated in your life experience. So it, it is a really remarkable comparison to help us see spirituality more clearly. Jonathan, let's go on to another quote. This is from General Montgomery. Again, this is about leadership, and I think it fits this coming segment. My own definition of leadership is this, the capacity and the will to rally men and women to a common purpose and the character which inspires confidence. Okay, the character which inspires confidence. We were talking about the character of Moses and Jesus and the capacity to rally men and women to this common person. Both Moses and Jesus had incredible capacity because they were working with God. He was working through them. So, Julie, what about Moses? Moses possessed godly wisdom to an extraordinary degree. Acts 7.22, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. So he had an, uh, an Egyptian education, but he was also a man of power in words and deeds. So he had the physical education of the world, but then he had the godly education of what to do to fulfill God's will. Jonathan, what about Jesus? Jesus possessed godly wisdom to an extraordinary degree. John 7.45 and 46. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officer said, Never has a man spoke the way this man speaks. I mean, you think about that for a second. They're sent out to bring Jesus before the, 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 the chief priests and Pharisees so they can ask him hard questions. And they come back empty-handed. And it's like, guys, what's up with you? And of course, there's a big paraphrase going on here. And they're like, you don't understand. This man is beyond all of us. Uh, we've never heard anyone speak like this. He is far beyond what we're capable of dealing with. There's no way we could bring him to you for questioning. He's too lofty. So, you know, you, you get this sense of godly wisdom and ex to an extraordinary degree from both of them. And that's just the beginning of the comparison. Julie, what's next? Oh, wait, wait, Julie, what, before we go to what's next, you had something else, right? Yeah, well, let's talk about the miracles between Moses and Jesus, because we're going to see some striking similarities. And I've got a quote from Roger G. Ingersoll. He was a lawyer and an author in the 19th century. 
This is powerful. He said, most people can bear adversity, but if you wish to know what a man really is, give him power. (laughs) And both Moses and Jesus would definitely need to keep pride and ego in check as they wielded God's great power. And we're going to see that here in these, uh, in the miracles. In Moses's case, uh, Acts 7, 36 to 37, this man led them out performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is Moses, the Moses, who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. So it's interesting that the scripture that says he performed signs and wonders through that 40 years it's this Moses who said, by the way, there's this prophet who is going to be raised up just like me. Who's that? That's Jesus. Okay, so, you know, we always think about the miracles of Moses as being the, 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 the ten plagues and getting them out. That was just the beginning. That was just the beginning. There was so much more. Jonathan, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus performing miracles, I mean, amazing. <laughs> Let's look at John 12, 37 through 38. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And that's found in Isaiah 53, verse 1. So this scripture says he performed so many signs. It's just, you know, it's like you can't even count them anymore. And yet people still did not believe. Okay, so we're going to now talk about miracles Uh, and very, very specific miracles that were very, very similar. So, Julie, get us started with Moses. Moses fed Israel in the desert. That's Exodus 16, 11 to 14. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. And we know that was the famous manna that they were able to eat. Miraculously there for their nourishment, Moses fed the multitudes because they needed to eat. God heard that, God knew that, and through Moses, he made that happen. Jonathan, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000, everyone remembers that, Matthew 14, 19 through 20. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. So that was Jesus feeding the 5,000 a short time later. Weeks later, I think he feeds the 4,000. I mean, so what do you have? You have this incredible similarity of providing needs. So delivering the deliverer. God's deliverers were given power to satisfy human necessities when needed. This would witness to the majesty of God. And there is a significant theme that runs through every single one of the miracles we're going to talk about. And this theme is witnessing to the majesty of God. You know it's God working through them. Moses fed the multitude. Jesus fed the multitude. Julie, what's the next miracle? Moses was given power over leprosy, Exodus 4, 6 to 8. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. 
So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again, and when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. So God said to Moses, I will give you this power over leprosy to be a sign that you are representative of me. It's not you that, 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 that is executing the power. It's me working through you. But he gave him power over leprosy to use as a sign if it was needed. Uh, Jonathan, what about Jesus and leprosy? And I, this one I think everybody can anticipate. Absolutely. He's, he cures leprosy. Uh, Luke 17, 12 through 16. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell at his face, at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. So, you know, there's several interesting things here. I, I wish we had more time to go over each of these things in more detail. But, you know, first of all, this, this one who says thank you is a Samaritan. Secondly, it says, you know, he's glorifying God with a loud voice. You notice he's not glorifying Jesus. He's glorifying God. Why? Because that's where the power came from. And whenever Moses served the people, it was clear the power came from God. There's this incredible similarity in, in, in dealing with disease. Okay, so what's delivering the deliverer here? Well, it's simple. God's deliverers were given power over the debilitating diseases of humanity. Why? To witness to the majesty of God. Wasn't about Moses, wasn't about Jesus, about God Almighty in dealing with the debilitating diseases of humanity. Julie, what's the next miracle? Well, Moses changed bitter water to sweet in Exodus 15, 23 to 25. It says, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Okay, so you had these, this undrinkable water, and the people cry out, and so what happens? They cried out to the Lord, and, and God showed Moses a tree. It says, okay, here's what you do. You notice Moses, Moses does, is not doing this by himself. He's listening, and he's obeying. And he throws this tree into the water, and the waters miraculously become sweet. So Moses gave the people refreshment where there was none. Jonathan, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus revealing living water in John 4, 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So it's interesting. Moses delivers physical water that is pleasant to drink. Jesus delivers spiritual water by which you will never thirst again. You see how there's such a similarity. Moses is showing you the physical perspective. Jesus is showing you its fulfillment, the spiritual perspective. It's higher. But Moses shows us what Jesus looks like, how Jesus acts, and what Jesus does. Delivering the deliverer. 
God, God's deliverers were given power to refresh those who were God's people. Why? This witnessed to the majesty of God. It always comes back to that. Now, let's a little bit more water here, but in a much more, a much bigger sense. Julie, what's the next miracle? All right, we've all seen the movie <laughs> Moses parting the waters of the Red Sea in Exodus 14 21. Then Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. Okay, you're right, Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, and, you know, standing there, and then you see this miraculous thing happening, and, and you know, the, the actual miracle must have been just glorious and fearful in its incredible power that was happening right before them. So Moses parts the waters of the Red Sea. How? Because God gives him the power. Well, what about Jesus in the sea, Jonathan? What about a miracle there? Well, Jesus calming the waters of Galilee in Matthew 8, 25 and 26. And they came to him and woke him up saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? You men of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. So it's interesting. Both of them took the waters of the sea and made them not a threat. Okay? <laughs> Israel was able to pass through, and Jesus just calmed the sea because it looked like that they would drown in it. But again, it is physically impossible to instantly calm a raging sea. It just physically can't happen. Miraculously, it can. How did Jesus do that? Through the power of of God. So you see the power of God, again, wielded by these two deliverers. What's delivering the deliverer here? Simple. God's deliverers were given power over nature itself when appropriate. Why? To witness to the majesty of God. This shows us the power of God, his power, his providence, and his plan working through all these things. Okay, now let's add to that miracle, especially the Moses miracle, Julie. What's next? Well, Moses walked through that parted sea. In Exodus 14, 22, the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. That is, that's a scary thought, okay? The waters were like a wall. It's like, do I want to get close to that? Do I want to run? <laughs> <laughs> right, that's going to fall in. Yeah, you know, it's an incredible show of God's power, of God's deliverance. How? through Moses. Well, G oh, Jonathan, what about Jesus and, and, and the sea here? Jesus walking upon the waters of the sea, Matthew 14, 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Again, physically impossible. And it's interesting, Moses has to get the sea out of the way to deliver them. Jesus can simply walk over the sea. You know, so <laughs> you see how Jesus' miracles are actually elevated but they're in the same vein, along the same lines. You know what? And, and, and here's the thing. Delivering the deliverer, okay? God's deliverers had faith in the power given them over their surroundings. This is a witness to the majesty of God. But think about, it's one thing to say, let the sea be parted, and the sea parts. It's another thing to have such faith in that miracle that you walk between the two walls of water. That is takes an incredible amount of, of, of uh, conviction to be able to do that. To step out and to walk on water, 
talk about incredible conviction. And we, of course, we know what Peter tried and how he didn't quite get there. Uh, but, you know, you see the power of doing the miracles of God and having faith in the power that they were given. Trusting, to, trusting that God would be there. Absolutely. This is an incredible story. These are incredible comparisons to show us what Jesus would look like through the life of Moses. The precision with which Moses was a model of Jesus is breathtaking. Israel's deliverance clearly pictured the world's deliverance. So far, we've seen the character and works of God's deliverers. What about their godly leadership? Okay. Both Moses and Jesus were called upon not only to deliver, but to lead the people of God. This is a daunting task as God is so lofty and humanity is so broken by sin. Once again, we will see that many of the things that God required of Moses, he also required of Jesus. What a powerful, prophetic look at the Messiah. And make no mistake, Moses was there to do these physical things, but he was showing us what Messiah would look like in a graphic, graphic life comes to 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 this to this higher level of existence when we see it lived out in Jesus. Jonathan, a quote from uh, Rosalind Carter. A leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to be. And Rick, uh, this quote made me think of two questions. Did the Israelites really want to go into the wilderness? And do the followers of Jesus really want to sacrifice everything? You know, th those are good questions because, you know, you want to go into the wilderness initially because it's like, okay, freedom. But then you're out there for a few days and it's like, eh, I miss my bed. Uh, I miss the food. Uh, I miss this. Same thing with Jesus' followers. You know, we all say, yes, I'll give up everything for you because we're so overwhelmed. And then you know what happens? Life. Life happens and we begin to second guess. And that's what the leadership of Moses and the leadership of Jesus shows us, drawing us to where we need to be going, even if our flesh is going to argue a little bit, or a lot, or all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to be looking at this godly leadership, and there's several powerful, powerful points here in this segment. Julie, let's get started with Moses. Moses was the conduit through which the Passover was established, Exodus 12:42. It is a night to be observed for the Lord for having brought them out of the land of Egypt. This night is for the Lord to be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. Moses sets up the Passover. God tells him what to do. Moses absolutely follows through. The Passover becomes the first most important ritual for Israel in all of their history. Now, we've got that set up. Jonathan, what about Jesus? Jesus was the Passover and established the memorial upon the Passover's fulfillment. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 25. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
Okay, so, you know, what we have is the Passover was put in place to show the deliverance from Egypt, but it was also to look forward to Jesus. The memorial, Jesus put in place to look back upon and remember Jesus. So the Passover leads us all the way up to the reality of Jesus, and the memorial reminds us, looking back, of the reality of Jesus. This Passover connection you're talking about between Moses and Jesus is very strong. I have to recommend episode 859. This is one of my favorites. It's called Israel's Passover. What does it mean to us? And you will see these uncanny and inspiring uh, similarities that happen between that Passover and showing that Jesus was the Passover. Um, So episode 859. You know, and, and again, no coincidence that this great deliverer Moses is used to picture the deliverer Jesus. So when we look at delivering the deliverer, God's deliverers were the conduit through which important God-honoring rituals were established. Their lives and examples gave these rituals powerful relevance. You know, and, and in that comment, I mentioned that they were the conduit through which these important things were established. You know, a conduit is a wire. Folks, inside of the walls of your house, you have conduit, and it's just wire. It's just wires that are in your house, and don't do anything except when you flip a switch, and then the electricity flows through them, and it brings you light, or it brings you power, or it brings you your refrigerator, the ability to refrigerate. It, 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 it drives life. The lives of Jesus and Moses were the conduit for God's will. Without them, it doesn't come alive. We have to understand the power that God gave to them as deliverers and what he gives to us as followers of Jesus. We also can be the conduit of God's will. We just have to be willing and look and express it and and move forward with it. Okay, so we've got them as the conduit for the Passover and the memorial. Uh, Julie, what's next with Moses? Moses was righteously indignant when the people dishonored God. And we see that in Exodus 32, 19 to 20. It says, it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf. Oh, this was that golden calf and the dancing. And Moses's anger burned and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf, which they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it all over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. I do not remember that from Bible class. (laughs) I remember him coming back with those tablets and being very upset and making them, you know, take down the calf, but I do not remember them having to drink it. Wow, that is indignant. Well, you know, and and that's what great leadership does. Great leadership, when it sees, especially in, in terms of spirituality, when it sees God is being dishonored, it jumps to action to do whatever is necessary to protect the sovereignty and the sanctity of honoring God. They had another God, and Moses would have nothing to do with it, and he would make a lesson of this that they would always remember. And we have to remember the first commandment. What was that one, Rick? Yeah, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Oh, <laughs> oh that hurt Moses' heart. So he's carrying the tablets down from the mountain, and that's what the first commandment says, and look. <laughs> so yes, oh, righteous indignation on the part of Moses. Jonathan, what about Jesus? 
Well, Jesus was righteously indignant when the people dishonored God in Matthew 21, 12 and 13. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. So you see Jesus' righteous indignation when they take the sincerity and sanctity of the temple and they turn it into a money-changing, money-making, cheating organization. And he says, I'll have none of it. Not here, not now. This is my father's house. What an incredible similarity between the righteous indignation of Moses with the people because they, they, they had other gods before God and Jesus, because they had other gods before God. Both of them acted to protect the sanctity of God's name. So when we see delivering the deliverer here in this indignation, God's deliverers led the charge when God was being dishonored. Because of their humble acquiescence to God's will, their anger at such dishonor was justified, and it was righteous, and it was necessary, and they did exactly what they needed to do. So we have the setting up the Passover and the memorial. We have this righteous indignation. What else about their godly leadership? Julie, let's again go back to Moses. This is a very, very profound uh, similarity. Moses was a mediator between God and Israel. Galatians 3.19 tells us, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Okay, so how did the people hear God's word? They heard it through Moses. How did, did, did uh, God communicate to the people? He communicated through Moses. That's what a mediator does. It brings those two sides together. Jonathan, what about Jesus as a mediator? Well, Jesus will be a mediator between God and humanity, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So you have this sense of, of, of Jesus' mediation, which will be with the entire world in the future. And you get this, the, the, this idea that you, you, can't go, you can't get there from here unless you have the mediator in place. So let's look at, at delivering the deliverer here. God's deliverers were trusted by him. Okay, think about this. Trusted by God Almighty to stand between God's holy presence and sinful humanity. The one thing in between is that mediator. This affords mankind a legitimate opportunity to find harmony with God. What this means is without the mediator, there's no harmony with God. It is not possible. See, a mediator bridges an impossible gap. That's why a mediator is there, because the gap is too wide. Moses mediated for the children of Israel. Jesus mediates for the children of the world. Moses shows us what Jesus looks like. This is what the comparison is. And it doesn't stop here. Okay, Julie, what's next with Moses? 
Well, it's it's over for Moses because although he was old in years, he died in the prime of his life. In Deuteronomy 34, 7, it tells us, although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. Okay, so even at 120 years old, this man had energy. He was sharp, he was physically sound, and yet it was time for him to go. Okay, so he dies at 120 years old. That's quite a a full, full life. What about Jesus? Well, Jesus died in the prime of his life, Matthew 27, verse 29. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. So Jesus was literally a young man in the prime of his life, 33 and a half years old. Moses, 120 years old, was still in the prime of his life, both the deliverers of God. And it's interesting that Jesus' deliverance work was over a three-and-a-half-year period of time. Moses was over 40 years. So, you know, you, you see those differences, but both taken in prime of their life. What's the lesson here? Well, delivering the deliverer. The lives of God's deliverers were squarely in the hands of the Almighty. They these deliverers, Moses and Jesus, embraced their humanity as an offering for God to do whatever he saw fit. They let them, themselves be dictated. Their whole humanity was dictated by God's will. And when it was time to end, it was time to end. And here's another comparison. It's interesting. We can divide Moses' 120 years of life into three equal periods of 40 years. This first 40 years was a time of discovery. The second was where he needed to go. And the third was doing the will of God. Now, Jesus's life had three distinct 40-day periods. And we list all of these out with many more comparisons between Moses and Jesus in the CQ Rewind show notes. That's the free written transcript we create for every episode where we've taken all the notes for you. These show notes are available at our website, christianquestions.com and our Christian Questions app. Yeah, you know, as exciting as it is to go through the comparisons we're going through, folks, we're just scratching the surface. There is so much more here. It is a powerful testimony to the providence of God to see the life of Moses reflecting the life of Jesus thousands of years before the life of Jesus happens. It is just simply inspiring. Julie, what's next with Moses? Well, very interestingly, Moses' body would never be found, Deuteronomy 34, 5-6. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley, in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no man knows his burial place to this day. So when it came time for Moses to die, he dies, and God takes care of his burial in a very secretive way. And it just gives you this sense of, of awe that God would do that. Jonathan, what about the body of Jesus? Well, Jesus' body would never be found, Luke 24, 1 through 3. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Coincidence? Not even remotely close. What you have is this honor given to these two deliverers, delivering the deliverer. God's deliverers were so sacred to God that he hid their bodies once they had died. This shows us God's respect 
for those who delivered his people. So the respect you can see actually goes both ways. Jesus and Moses are picture are, are, are the dictionary definition picture of respecting God. Yet God is showing his incredible respect for these individuals as deliverers and treats them after their death in a very special, very, very specific way so nobody can worship the bodies, nobody can mock the bodies, they're gone. They're, they're out of the picture because their work had been done. It's, just, it's, it's a wonderful testimony to their faithfulness. Our last point, Julie, let's get started with Moses. Moses was dedicated to something that he did not see completed. Hebrews eleven thirty nine to 40 tells us, And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had promised something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So Moses, with all of his effort and all of his faithfulness, didn't receive the promise. He didn't. He will but he didn't yet receive the promise. He was faithful. He made mistakes because he was imperfect, but he was faithful to God, and God treated him with great sacred respect. But you see, So he's dedicated to something that he didn't see completed. Now, Jonathan, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus was dedicated to something that he himself completed and rejoices in. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus, contrary to Moses, did see what he set out to complete, and he completed it, and he rejoices in it, and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. At this point, he has the power to change the world by what he did. Moses had the power to change Israel to the point of, a, of an imperfect human man, human being. And so you see that they both were given incredible, incredible power and privilege because they were so humble and were able to be used by God. But the end result of Moses' work was a physical deliverance. The end result of Jesus' work was spiritual deliverance and deliverance, in fact, for the world of mankind. So delivering the deliverer, God's deliverers, always delivered. Okay, it's pretty simple. <laughs> no matter what the challenge is, no matter what it cost them, they carried out their mission faithfully. There is no greater praise that we can give to God than to deliver on what he would have us to do. Moses delivered over three million Israelites out of slavery. And Jesus will deliver around, well, I don't know, billions and billions and billions of people out of slavery of sin and death by the ransom sacrifice of his life for Father Adam. And just a closing scripture that I think is beautiful, Revelation 15, 3, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of the God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. So there you have it uh, in Revelation. It talks about the song of Moses and the Lamb. Coincidence? Now look, you know better by now, right? You see the incredible connection between the life of Moses the Deliverer and the life of Jesus the Deliverer. And you see the power of the providence of God thousands of years before he gets ready to deliver humanity from sin and death. He shows us 
pretty much every aspect of what it's going to look like through a man named Moses who delivers the physical nation out of slavery. There is so much power in the Word of God if we would just pay attention and look into it and just let it speak to us to show us God's power, God's will, and God's way. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly, greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, very different subject. How vital are my vows of marriage? That is a really important question that doesn't get enough attention in our day. We'll talk to you next week.